The problem in this country is we have 60-odd million people and 70 cinemas. And most of them are in the previously, you know, designated white-only areas, right? So if you're a black filmmaker in this country, it's like, you know, you've just made a beautiful car and you take it outside and there's no road. Where are you going to screen? You know? Thank you so much for joining us again. Welcome to our second episode of The Real Podcast with Andile. Today we have a um, special guest. Um, his name is David Max Brown from Avda. Some of you may know him. I'm sure a lot of you guys would know him. Um, so, yeah, without wasting any time, I will just let Mr. D introduce himself. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank you for inviting me onto this. It's always a pleasure to do these kind of things. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, I've been... Yeah, in the film industry for quite a long time. You can yeah. see I'm not young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And strangely, I didn't, I, you know, just, I'll, I'll give you like a sort of little potted history of who I am really, but I started yes. in zoology. What is that? I started in zoology as a zoologist. What, what is, I don't know, what is the zoology? So what is the, the study of animals, you know? Oh, you know, in biology, okay. you get, oh, the, zoologist. You get, yeah, you get oh. plants and animals, and I chose <laughs> animals, yeah. I didn't know that there was something yeah. like that. I, I wanted to be, I always had an interest in photography from when I was little. Sure. Um, but, you know, my parents were, if you're going to go to university, you're going to study something, yes. you know. So I did, I did a degree in zoology and then um, just got more involved in, in photography anyway. Yes. And um, when I was in my early 20s, I actually volunteered to join uh, the ANC in exile. Oh, really? Yep. And wow. I, I, I um, yeah, so I became, I became an ANC member in my 20s. I wasn't which, expecting which, that. Which you, you probably weren't expecting, yeah. I wasn't at all. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's what a lot of people you would be hoping would be doing right now in their 20s. Yes. Um, you know, being conscious about what's happening to, to, the, to our country, you know? Yes. But being born here and growing up in exile, my parents were very much involved in politics. Yes. And um, so I kind of grew up in that, but in England and wondering what this South Africa was really all about, you know? And wanting to contribute and wanting to do something. Sorry, for, are, you from, you're from, were you, are you from England or you were... I was born in Johannesburg, but okay. when I was little, my parents moved with... Um, uh, the whole family to England because my dad was involved in the ANC and had been arrested and was yeah. underground and it, things were just getting more hectic. So we left the country. And then, so when I, when I was about 23, I suppose, or somewhere there, um, I joined the ANC and, and they put me in, in a, um, what was then, the place was called um, the Solomon Matlangu Freedom yes. College. Yes, I know that. No, yeah. I've heard about that. And I worked there for about four years. Um, and because my hobby was photography, I think like right at the bottom of my CV kind of thing, you know, they were like, hey, would you, would you run the photographic laboratory? And I was oh, like, wow. would I? Like, how does so, that happen? So you did know? that all happen when you were in the ANC? Yes. So, okay, so, so this whole um, um, photography thing started when you were from, um, from the ANC, when you were yes. at the Solo Matlangu's... Yes, um, Freedom College, yeah. Oh, wow. So what I was doing there was, so I became responsible for like um, teaching... Um, young students who were coming out of the country, um, photography, but also um, taking the photographs, like documenting what was happening in the ANC. Mm. 
also taking uh, passport photos for people at two o'clock in the morning when they were going <laughs> off to train or different things. And, you know, it was yeah. just... But it was amazing for me because I, mean, I also traveled a lot. When you, know? you look back at those pictures, look, those such pictures are uh, uh, epic pictures. Yeah. You know, to hear that, like, you know, you, you're one of those people who took such pictures yeah. during those times. And it's interesting because I've been trying to collect them, actually, over the past few years because... Um, obviously, over that period of time, you take thousands of photographs because yes. I, was, I was also documenting the development of the ANC in Tanzania and everything that was done oh, wow. at the college, but in the area. And then I traveled to Mozambique and Zambia and Angola, also taking photographs of what was going on in the region. Yes. Um, and, you know, when people would come to visit, so people would come, even um, ANC people or or visitors from Sweden and Holland wow. and whatever, they weren't allowed to photograph in that area, in that entire area, because you had to have security clearance. Really? So I was the only person who could take photographs in that area. So I was taking photographs for people as well. That's crazy. And then, and then processing and developing and sending those pictures out with the, with, you know, through the mechanisms we had, right? Yes. And then what I've been doing is then collecting those photographs recent or in the past sort of few years, you know? Yes. Um, because um, all my negatives were went to Shell House mm. and the ANC very carefully put them into cardboard boxes in the basement where they got wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and wet negatives don't, don't print very well. Exactly, yes. So, um, yeah, that archive actually got, got destroyed, which was like really, really what? sad, yeah. But fortunately, the prints still exist and people have been able to scan them and send them back to me and I've been managing to put them up onto, onto a site for people to be able to use. Yeah. Uh, and those scans are also available, uh, you know, on, in the Dutch archive and in the National Archive. Sure. You know, um, and then, you know, and the ANC also paid for my, for my film education because That's I... Great. I um, yeah, they, I, I went to Canada, actually. There was a scholarship available to study film in Canada. Oh, wow. And I went to, I went to study I film mean, that, and TV, this, courtesy this is, of... This is of, an epic you know, story. Courtesy of the government in exile, you know. So then I, when I came back, I always felt I had some sort of, mm, like, duty, you know, yes. to, do, to use my skills that, you know, um, for the benefit of the country, yes. you know. Yes. Um, and exactly that thing of like, you know, of transformation and seeing, exactly. you know, how can you fight for the rights of, you know, of black people in this country and yes. not be involved with, with that in the field that you're working in. So, yes. so that's what I've been very much involved with. Sure. Um, and I lived in Swaziland for when I first came back. My yes. wife was Swazi. We met in exile. <laughs> and uh, so I lived for Swaziland in, in Swaziland for about 10 years before we could come back to to, to South Africa, to South Africa you know? yes. and um, and uh, you know that, and 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 started a little production company there and trained because you know and, ha and nobody in Swaziland knew how to even which way up a camera went. No. So I was doing training as well, and I and I had a little crew working for me, and we were doing productions for Swazi TV and commercials and crazy. things, you know. And then I moved to South Africa and got involved in a production company here. But even in Swaziland, um, I was part of an organization, a regional organization of filmmakers. Mm -hmm. We had about 70 filmmakers in the Southern Africa region. Mm -hmm. And we networked and we used to meet uh, once a year and show each other our films in different countries in the region. 
Mm-hmm. And it created this this really powerful network of filmmakers. Sure. Um, which lasted until about 2006 or seven, somewhere there, or eight, you know. Um, wow. Doesn't exist anymore. I wish it would. Wow. That's, that's, that's sad to hear. Yeah, because I think we need that, you know, these kind of regional organizations. Definitely, definitely. It become so nationalistic and it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, I mean, to, I mean, to hear, I mean, I didn't know that, you know. I mean, I think what, I mean, what, I, I mean, what I know about you is, is just your life after everything that you just told me about. But that is just, just something else that I wasn't expecting, you know, <laughs> just something else that I wasn't expecting. So, yeah. um, how did it come about in terms of like you um, saying that you started like um, with your father, um, ANC taking pictures, you know, um, negatives and all the, and all the story, mm. you know, to opening up your production company and, mm. you know, having some sort of like an, um, what, what was it? Association organization in Switzerland? Uh, that was called the um, Southern Africa Communications for Development. Exactly. SACOD. Yeah. At that. Yeah. And then, yeah. To after, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and then to after, yeah. Like how did that happen? 500 miles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what actually, you know, um, I think the first sort of broadcast documentary that I did for ETV then, when ETV was just starting up, I did a film about uh, a jazz documentary about Malombo mm. and Malombo music, you know? Sure. And um, I was actually looking at a musician called Julian Bahulu who was in exile. Yes, and uh like right now i i, I yeah i yeah. love this i love this you know the malombo jasmine yeah. and so i just thought it was really interesting how some of them had stayed you know like philip tabane yes ab uh ab Kindi, um you know maybe tobajani they were like stayed in Tobajani, south africa yes, yes. whereas uh, julian had been in exile and i thought how interesting it would be to like connect them and see what this journey yes. has been, you know, and it just yes. sort of touched me, you know. Yeah. So that was my first documentary that I made around about 89, I think. Jeez, like. 89 or 90. Um, and then I got more involved in, yeah, doing stuff for TV because in Swaziland it was all different kind of stuff, you yes. know. And then I got involved in working in television here and started doing, um, working with a friend of mine who I'd also known in exile, um, Zola Maseko. Mm-hmm. Um, who's a director and we did a couple of documentaries together and then he got into he wanted to do fiction he wanted to do a short yes, film yes and he wanted to do this film called a drink in the passage which is an adaptation <laughs> of an alan payton short story yeah you know and um we did a half hour film that we shot on 16 blew up to 35 mil it won a big prize in wagadugu at the Burkina faso film festival yeah and that was like the beginning of, hey, this is how you so, do fiction. You so know? all of this, like you find yourself doing all these things, like, but when you were young, like, did you have any idea that you wanted to be, you know, in the industry, like in the film industry, in the photography industry? Like, did you? From or, the age of 11, I knew I really wanted to be a photographer. Yeah. And I think I would have continued, like, in that, of really getting involved in cinematography. I think it really was my passion. Sure. But I, what happens is, you know, you have to be flexible, yes. you know. And um, I think, you know, when my wife and I had our first child, mm-hmm. um, Pilani, I realized that traveling wasn't actually such the best thing to do because we were both working. Yes. And it was difficult to be the person who might need to go away for a month or two months or, 
you know, especially when we were living in Swaziland at the time, you know? Sure. Like any jobs that were coming up were in South Africa or overseas, you know, and mm. and traveling became difficult. So I kind of rejigged my life and started doing directing and editing and writing and different things, you know, so that I could be more at home and, and, and have a, a, a base at home, you know? Sure. And then... Um, so, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mr. Mm. D. I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't mean to cut you. Sure. I just want to quickly ask a question. So all this, you find yourself doing all these things simply because of you started doing um, like background work for the ANC and they paid your, your fees to go and study for them. And yeah. then you find yourself doing all these things. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah. And as I say, like getting involved in more things that kind of, you know, touched me in terms of the political, but then getting involved in all sorts of other things as well. Mm. You know, um, you, you, you you know, know what, what, what quite fascinates me about... Um, about people like you, you know, um, is that they're very passionate about the camera. You know, like I've worked with, like, um, with few guys doing documentary, with, like um, documenting like um, apartheid stuff. You know, what I, what I notice from them is that they're so passionate yeah. about the camera. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I've worked with so many directors and I've worked with, I've worked, and I'm a director myself, but the, the passion, like those guys have when it comes to, yeah. and to, what I've what I've noticed is like as I've moved, what, I just, I just want to know like what is it yeah. that gives you guys? Yeah, if, what the, what I've noticed though is actually that you know look, when you're making any film, yeah, obviously the thing that everybody wants to see is quality pictures and a kind of style, like an approach, yes, that is visually entertaining and different, especially with documentaries because people yes. don't just want fact after fact. Mm. You know? But the thing that people really want in a good documentary is also really good sound. You know, if you're just going to be watching a talking head, can it please talk in a way that you can hear? You know, <laughs> like clearly, <laughs> I want to hear everything, you know? Yeah. And it's amazing the difference that a, when you're watching a documentary and good sound. Yes. And when I got involved in fiction and started making, um, you know, television dramas and making feature films, mm-hmm. I've come to realize there are two different kinds of directors. Yes. Because I've been much more involved in producing. Sure. And I've realized working with different kinds of directors, how they relate to the camera, Mm -hmm. to sound, and to the actors. So there are directors that I've worked with. um, You know, a couple of years ago, we made a feature film where the director really was so involved in the cinematography and actually wasn't looking and thinking about what the actors were doing and the kind of performance they were mm. giving. It all just looked really pretty. The sound was lovely. The pictures were just perfect. <laughs> and the acting was just slightly not quite to story. Yeah. And that's, you know, and you just feel it, you know. Mm. So as a producer, that's what I've been looking at, you know, is just seeing those directors who are really getting to the core and who really understand that filmmaking isn't just about the one thing, the prettiness of the picture. Yes. It's about putting all of the different disciplines that all the crew members are bringing. Yes. And in particular, sound. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, there's no point in having a camera if you don't have sound when exactly. you're making movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. And sound is the biggest thing that is, that is neglected and... You know, I think when they give the prize for the best sound design at the Oscars is during the ad break. (laughs) 
So is there any, is there any, is, I mean, is there any surprise that, you know, we don't have young kids going, I want to get the Oscar for sound. They've never seen it being given. Yeah, that's true. You know, that's so true. it's completely upside down um, because we won't watch a film with bad sound. Yeah. And the sound design is people think, oh, that's just the music. But because when you go to the cinema, you're not really hearing, yeah. you're hearing it, but you're not really, it's just all going in and it just makes a sort of subliminal experience. Exactly. It's the other thing that I've been writing about recently, and I've got a, I have an article coming out in Black Camera at the University of Indiana in March, where I'm writing about big screen cinema mm. and the future of big screen cinema um, and how South African filmmakers, especially young black directors, mm. need, to be able to making, need to be making big screen cinema, yes. not just crap for Netflix. I'm, I'm coming there. I'm coming there. I'm coming there. That's that's actually, you know, I'm I'm glad someone said. I'm glad someone else said that. I'm glad someone else said that because I had a conversation on a group with uh, we um, myself and some of the directors from Joburg and around the country. We've directors. We've got like um, our own WhatsApp group, and I mentioned that, and everyone was on top of me. Everyone was on top of I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that. It's I did so mention that. It's so interesting, you know, isn't it? Because I'm mentioning that. As soon as you talk about, as soon as I say to you, especially it's starting to change. Mm. Uh, but, you know, a couple of years ago when I first started doing my research, yes. people said to me, no, man, cinema's dead. You know, you're just yeah. an old man who's stuck in the past. And I was going, no, watch, just watch this space. Because you might think that cinema's dead. Fine. You mm. might think that the streamers are everything and the be all and then, you know, and they're doing I'm, everything. I'm, I'm sorry, but Mr. actually, yeah. You know, the problem that I, I, I'm having, you know, like you guys, like old, um, like old, like, like we call you OGs, you know, we call you OGs, you know, of, of the film industry, you know. Yeah. You used to create from the scratch. You used to create. But in our days, what we do, we always recreate what has been always recreated. Yeah. And then we get and then we get the credit. And then the people that we recreated from don't get the credit. Yeah. So I mean no, what that's, I that's mean a, I think the thing is something different. I think that is as young people, you need to look and see what the people have done before you, right? Yes. But then take it and shape it and make it yours. Right? Mm -hmm. It's the same thing, like look at this big space we're in now, this beautiful old church, mm -hmm. right? But you've turned it into something new, yeah. right? Into a studio, which yes. is fantastic. So cinemas need to reinvent themselves to some extent. Sure. But I believe that if you're making a feature film and you want your audience to experience with great sound and proper sound design and that full experience, that fully immersed experience, you won't get it at home on a laptop. Mm -hmm. Never. I don't know what that is, but it's something else. It's just a form of home entertainment, sure. but it's not feature filmmaking. The problem in this country is we have 60 odd million people and mm -hmm. 70 cinemas. It's crazy. And most of them are in the previously, you know, designated white only areas, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're a black filmmaker in this country, it's like, you know, you've just made a beautiful car and you take it outside and there's no road. Mm. Where are you going to screen? You know, and now yeah. you put it on a truck and you and you take it to where you can drive, mm -hmm. you know, and then the road isn't 
designed for your car. You know, there's no audience. Yeah. So those, so, you know, what, what's been really interesting for me is looking at countries that were in a very similar place, say in the mid-90s, like South Korea. Yeah. South Korea, we all know now, you know, Squid Game, whatever, yeah, you know, exactly. Parasite. But, you know, 30 years ago, they had a cottage industry. They weren't making films. They were making about the same number of films as we were. Now, in 30 years, they've grown to the level they're at now, where they're exporting 350 feature films a year of, like, very high standards. It's crazy. Where they have 3,500 screens in that country in the same population as we have. So where they've grown from maybe 80 cinemas, m mostly single screen cinemas, they now have maybe five, 600 cinemas, right? So I've been looking at how did they manage to do that? And it's this collaboration between government and private enterprise, yeah. you know, in a way that has built new cinemas and where big companies have invested in new production companies to create this kind of uh, an infrastructure where big screen films can happen and where you can find, you know, a new local film, South Korea, mm -hmm. you can find a quarter of the population going to the movies, yeah. going to cinemas to see that film. And that's in a country with the highest rate of the fastest internet. You know, they've got all the alternatives, yes, but yes. they want to be in a cinema watching a movie with like-minded people getting that reaction. Yes. So I don't think that's gone anywhere, you know. Yeah. Even Amazon, I don't know if you saw that Amazon announced last week. Um, which one? Amazon made an announcement they're going to put eight, uh, I think it's a billion rand yeah. every year into eight movies. Really? Which will only be screened in theatres. So, you know, when, when, and when, when Amazon announced last week that they're going to put a billion, billion rand, a billion dollars. Billion dollars. A billion dollars every year to make eight to 10 feature films that will show in theaters. That's crazy. In theaters, the streaming company, right? It makes you also realize, and, and you know, and, the st and cinema stocks went up 10, 12%, the people who own cinemas, right? Yeah. Their shares went up. But it also makes you realize the future of cinema. Yeah. And also, you know, um, not just for the cinema owners and not just for American films, but here, in South Africa, we need to build cinemas. Mm. And you might think I'm crazy and you might say, well, you probably wouldn't, but people might. Yeah. You know, just look at Nigeria. Mm. So in the last couple of years, they've doubled the number of cinemas in Nigeria, right? And they've hugely increased the output of very high quality international standard films that they're showing in festivals and in their cinemas in Nigeria and That's people crazy. are going, right? And it's mm. also, again, where government has said, to, you know, producers, mm. actually, and, you know, the, the distributors of, uh, of Nigerian film who need a place to screen, right, because there's not enough cinemas, yes. here's a loan. Here's a government loan, subprime rate, pay it off over, t over, you know, a long period of time. Yeah. Build a cinema. It's crazy. Revamp an old cinema. Great. And these guys are getting together, producers and the guys who used to be like the pirateers. I mean, Mr. and then building cinemas. This is information a lot of people. They're don't doing know. it in Nigeria. Why can't we do it in South Africa? Exactly. That's crazy. That's crazy. You know, yeah. and I think that so that's my challenge to you as young people, not just to be stuck at the beginning of the film value chain mm -hmm. and think about can we write, can we direct, what can we make. 
but now how do we actually sell, distribute, and exhibit, like at the other end, and actually get involved in that, not wait around for Sterkinik or New Metro and all these companies who have been, you know, mm. yeah, who are actually, because what's interesting also about South Korea is if you think about it, in the 90s when they only had about 80 cinemas and they were all single screen cinemas, they still have them. They still have those single screen cinemas. Whereas ours have closed. And we had a cinema in this country in almost every township. Yes, that's true. They've closed. That's true. And why? Because when the malls were built, your Sterkinikors, your new metros, your whoever, they built their multiplexes in the shopping malls. Mm. And they had no reason because they were also the distributors. They were buying international films and screening them in their own cinemas, right? Yeah. Why would they want to supply those, those films to the single screen independent cinemas? They wouldn't. And they held them back. Hmm. So you have a cinema like that still survives, I don't know how, like the King Cinema <laughs> in Alexandra, right? Yeah, the King Cinema in Joburg, <laughs> in Alexandra, beautiful 600-seater Art Deco cinema. Yeah. The guy who owns that cinema, who's committed to cinema, who's, you know, his son now runs it, I think, you know, they would go maybe two weeks without the latest release because it was in the shopping mall and Jeez. they couldn't get it. So the current distributors and owners of cinemas in this country, I think, were responsible. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, it's only business, right? But in the exactly. end of the day, they were responsible for killing the independent cinemas. And we had a government who, when they came in, didn't see the value of keeping these township cinemas alive. Mm. And people hardly knew they even existed. Because every time a cinema is built in the township, nobody says anything. Just a quick question. No. So, I mean, I mean, do you think at this like online streaming time, you know, which is like super crazy, you know, don't you think that, you know, um, if cinema like would, would be back like full on, do you think that it would kill this online? No, no. So I, I don't think it, anybody killing anybody else. I think we coexist. Sure. You know, I don't think it's one or the other. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, I mean, the thing that is most watched at home at mm -hmm. the moment is porn. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the most thing, the most of whatever people do on the Internet is porn. So you might mm -hmm. assume then, like by far, I mean, you add Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, whatever, add them all together. And it still doesn't even come to not even a fraction of the number of people that are watching porn. That's true. You could just as well say there will be no other home entertainment because everybody's going to be watching porn. But it's not true. There's space for that and there's space for everything else. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. And it's the same thing with cinema. Yes, of course, people sometimes just want to come home, turn on Netflix, Amazon, whatever, and watch something in the comfort of their own home but people will always want to go out. Yeah. And the more that we start living in smaller spaces, you know, some of the units here in Woodstock are like 25 square meters, sometimes even less, you know? And you're living in a smaller and smaller environments, you need to get out. 
You need to socialize with people. When half of your life is home entertainment, on a laptop, headphones, you know? Yeah. You, Zoom, all this stuff. You need to socialize. Yeah. And one of the great places and that, you know, you can do that and actually feel that you're with a like-minded audience is in the cinema. There's no other experience like it. Yeah. So it is not going to die. Yeah. It is going to survive. But the big question is, what kind of cinema works well in a cinema? Yeah. And that's important because if you want young people to get out, go to cinemas, pay the money for a ticket, fuck the popcorn, basically, <laughs> but pay the money for a cinema ticket and watch with their friends, right? If you want them to actually make that trip, I mean, you need the transport, you need the cinemas that are near people, you need to be able to get back safely at night, you need all of the infrastructure, yes. sure, but you also need films that are designed and written um, and marketed for that experience, yes. for that social experience. Do you see what I mean? And I think that films that work and are designed from the get-go for that audience, you know, when, you, when you're a director with audience design in mind yes. and your whole team is working with that in mind, then you have a film that can work in a, in a, on a big screen and will then do that much better when it goes to the streaming services, you know? Yeah. And we'll have a much longer life when it can work in a cinema with great sound on a huge screen, you know? And it's designed for that. That should be your ambition. Yes, but definitely. Yeah, but definitely. Because, because you're so constrained by the infrastructure, it means that as young people, you have to get off your bums and build that infrastructure yourselves. Whether it's in community halls, whether it's in houses, whether it's in cafes and pubs and bars and pop-up cinemas and whatever, but because that's your future and because you need to say, like Nigerian filmmakers are saying, no, we don't want to make films on DVDs forever, no. Mm. We want our films to be in cinemas. We want to walk up the red carpet at the Oscars and bring home an Oscar to Nigeria. They've mm. said that and they're doing it. In South Africa, we're waiting around going, oh, when can we do that? No, you have to get off your bums and do it. Yeah. Make it happen. So it's like young people making local for local. Yeah. Then it's going to happen. You know, you know, uh, Mr. D. What um, the other thing that I've noticed is that, um, yeah, I mean, Nigerian filmmakers, hard workers, you know, are hard workers. You know, what I love about them more than being hard workers, they work together. You know, and as as they always work together, they will never work against each other. Well, I don't know about that. And, I, and the ones, <laughs> no, 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 the ones that I, the ones that I know. Yeah. You know, the the problem with 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 us, some of our South African black yes black black filmmakers. Yeah. You know, it's it's we we, we are competing with one another. Who, well, it's something really we, interesting that I saw about your organization, your dire, the directors' organization that you've set up, yes. right? is that you're not, because a lot, of, a lot of these organizations, I think, fail when they kind of break away and become like an organization. Sorry, just, just in case you, you're wondering what um, organization is, um, Mr. D is talking about, he's talking about the Independent Directors Association, which is an association that advocates for, um, for, for the equality and for the transformation, for the change um, of, of directors and DOPs in South Africa. So that's the... Um, 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 association that he is talking about now yeah and if you just look at the history of, you know we used to have the independent producers or well we have the independent producers organization yeah and then there was a breakaway 
Yeah. And, you know, it was like, you know, black filmmakers, no, come to the whatever it was called, mm-hmm. you know, another organization. Yes. And all that does just weaken the organization you already That's have. That's true. What's happened over time now is that, you know, you've seen this transformation in the IPO where you have a lot more young, black, and people of all different, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, backgrounds coming into the organization and mm-hmm. taking control of it. And I think that's much better, you know, because otherwise you have a tall building and you chop off the t- top five floors and you think something is still going to grow. That's it's true. It's not, you know, take yeah. over the whole building. <laughs> you see what I mean? Yes, yes. And take over it in a way that you're collaborating and it's, it's you know, but that you have, you, have, you know, um, all filmmakers involved yes. who are driving forward to that one purpose. Yes. So you have directors involved in an organization that is driving for the representation of direct of South African directors in South Africa and around the world. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Like a guild. Yes, exactly. Yeah, fantastic. Which exactly. doesn't like stop other people coming yes, in. Exactly. You might have rules, you know? Yes. That says just because you're white it doesn't mean to say you can always talk first and the loudest. <laughs> <laughs> right? You might have rules. Yes. But um, you know, but it allows for the integration and, and the growing of 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 everyone into a stronger organization, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm glad that this is coming from a, I mean from a from a white OG, you know, because you know I can tell you now, Mr. Mr. D, that a lot of there are some few black few black producers and and and, and directors that have have stood against this organization, even though we're trying to come up with something positive, something nice. Yeah. And then I would realize that most of the people that supports this organization is like white people. I, I mean, that's the truth. Most of yeah. the most most of the people that stands, you know, black, you know. I think because what you'll find is that there are a lot of white directors who are out there feeling like they're in a little bit of a limbo, right? Yeah. Because they're not feeling supported. They're maybe not feeling supported by government or any other structure. They, and they can't just set up a white organization, right? Yes. And then black directors are going, well, the world is my oyster right now. That's true. I'm black, I'm supported, there's my government. There's my people, you know. Yeah. You know, everybody's asking for a black director, a black female director. Like, why would do I need to be in an organization? Yeah. But the thing is that the organization gives you, they need to see what's the value of it, you know. Yes. Um, and people will only join an organization when they see the value, you know. Yes. So, of course, you want to be careful that it's not just a bunch of white directors who are getting in to look after themselves. Yeah. But I think when you can show that the organization is there for everybody and what the benefits can bring. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, one of the greatest benefits is when that, that organization starts to link with other similar organizations around the world. Because I can tell you now, um, you know, even you would imagine that a producer in America would have no reason to look for a director mm-hmm. in South Africa. They've got their own. That's true, yeah. But, it's, but they do. Yeah. Not only that, they will spend a huge amount of money doing the research in South Africa, sending their people out here to find out who are the directors, who are the writers, what films are they making. Yeah, I remember when. Who's I, next? You listen, know. I remember when I did the the EPK for for net for, for for Blood and Water season two. Yeah. You know the the brief that came in into our company was we are looking for a black director. That's was the brief that came in. Yeah. And then um, my company sent them my showreel and they love my showreel and then I did the job. Right. You but know? now you're talking about a local production. Yeah. 
I'm talking about American producers, right? Yeah. For big organizers like Universal, you know, Focus Features, doing research on the ground in South Africa to see who are you. <laughs> really? You will find that they know about it. I've been at, you know, I've been at like, you know, film markets overseas. Yes. Where the American producer, right? Yes. From Focus Features knows more about the directors on the ground here than I do. And I'm like, how do you know all these people? Or he's mentioning <laughs> by name filmmakers I've worked with and the films they've made. Yeah. And he says, you know, we're Focus Features. We have to know. Yeah. And when they're looking around the world to see who's popping their head up, because yeah. they might have 250 million people in America, but they're bored with what they have. That's true. And they want people like you, who are seeing the world maybe slightly differently and through your unique vision. Yes. You know, because I, the last thing I probably want to say is that the last thing I want to hear is this thing about, oh, empowerment and all of this kind of crap, right? Yeah. Because I turn it the other way around. If I'm working with a black director, it's because he's more empowered than I am. Yeah, that's true. Right? You're a young black director, so you've got the power. You've seen the world through all these different kinds of, you know, maybe a white director at the same age as you has lived in this little privileged box, right? Hasn't really seen the world. Yes. Probably never even been on a public transport. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's true. That's reality. Right? Whereas you have. Yeah. Right? Mm. And, and, and so the, that's what, as a producer, that excites me. Yes, yes. Do you see what I mean? Got you. And that's what's always excited me. Like coming to South Africa, I need to find people who know. If I'm going to make a feature film like I made Numiskoli, mm -hmm. the first thing I needed to do was find a production designer who knew the place, right? Exactly. Knew what it really looked like, knew what it really felt like, you know? So, you know? And that, that, that person then, through making the film, becomes more known and more empowered, whatever. But I, I like to turn those tables around. When I was chairperson of Sitengi, the film market here in Cape Town, yes. and people said, no, we've got to get the, the SABC to give money and we've got to get involved. We've got to make them all realize they need to be involved and empowered. I said, no, it's not a charity. <laughs> We're not bringing 500 black filmmakers here as a charity. Yeah. You tell them if they don't give the money, right? Yeah. If they don't give their 5 million or their 10 million rand to this organization, they'll miss the boat. They won't meet those new black filmmakers. Loving it. They won't have that experience of meeting them and finding the talent that they need. So they must pay for it, the motherfuckers, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just, I, 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 I love how this conversation is going and uh, how it's going and where it's going. Um, but I just heard now we, just, time. we have five minutes, but there's only one thing um, I just want to ask from you. You know, um, I was at the Deben, I was at the Deben format yep. um, early this year. I was one of the speakers in one of the um, panels. Yep. Talking about transformation. Yep. You know, so I talked about a lot of things and some of the things that I spoke about it got me into a lot of trouble with a lot of people back in Cape Town because I was talking about Cape Town, you know? So I said, Cape Town is not like Joburg, you know? Yeah. If you see a black director in Cape Town, it's a, are you from Joburg? That has happened from, to me yeah. a lot of times, every time when I'm working with people, are you from Joburg? Mm. If you see a woman who's a DOP or a woman, who's, a lady who's a director in Cape Town, mm. it's a, wow, did you see the director? 
you know. But if that happens in Joburg, yeah. it's like something. It's like oh, it's become more normal. It's, it's, yeah. it's normal. Yeah. But in Cape Town, yeah. it's like a black director in Cape Town is like, yeah. wow, are you from Joburg? That yeah. has happened to me a lot of times, and I hate it. Hate it with the passion, you know. So that has made me realize that you know when it comes to you know HOD, you know yep. positions. Yep. In Cape Town, I mean, what, I mean, I mean, what before I before I yeah. I, 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 I I speak about how I feel about what I think because I spoke about how I feel at the type and full much about this. Yes, and then it got me into trouble. I into can't it, imagine it, why it got you into trouble. You know, because I was speaking, I was like, there is no equality in Cape Town when it comes to um, HOD positions, and the, so I can tell you, I can tell. So what you're saying is absolutely true. I'm glad. You, I'm, I'm glad that right? a There's white just no, man. Just no doubt about it. Yes. Right. Um, it's not necessarily the fault, though, of the local Cape Town production companies. They, they would get upset with you because they're like, no, we're doing transformation, you know? Yeah, right. I, mean, that, I mean, that's crap. There's no transformation. I mean, if we really, if we really talk about it, right? Yeah. If we really want to talk about it, we'll know that most of the companies in Cape Town who are white-owned have found a way to blacken themselves up, right? They've done their own little bit of window dressing. Yes. And... Um, but some of them are really committed, and some of them are really committed to training and the development of young black people, right? Or yeah. young people in general, which is great. I mean, if they've got any sense in their heads, that's what they will want to do, yes. right? But um, there is, we could talk for an hour about all of the, kind of the, the actual infrastructure that exists in Cape Town, but remember that most of it was set up for commercials yes. and for servicing foreign films. Yeah. That's what Cape Town is all about. You know, yes. and a handful of production companies, whereas in Joburg there might be five hundred or five thousand production companies. It's a different scale, and you have television going there like crazy. Sure. If you go onto a commercial set in Cape Town, you're very likely to be told if you make a noise on set. You know, what part of "shut up" did you not understand? Yeah, it's true. You know, it's true. You do not get treated with respect. It could be even worse than that. Yeah. Right? It's true. There's no respect. And so if you come out of um, film school or you're just a young person and your first experience is like that as a runner or an assistant of some sort or making a tea on a, on a commercial set, you'll go, what? Exactly. And this is the very worst of it that you will see here, actually. I mean, it might be getting better and some sets are not like that, but a lot are. Yeah. And so people have learned that in Cape Town as well. They kind of, it's, it's a sort of a model. They think they need to shout, they need to be rude, they need to be ruthless. Mm. And actually as an independent filmmaker, it's the opposite. You know? Mm. One, of, one of the filmmakers I worked with a long time ago, who um, was a very close friend of mine, Dumi Dlamini. Mm -hmm. In 2005, we did a drama series called Homecoming. Unfortunately, he, he was m murdered while we were, or killed while we were in the making of that series. Yes. But he taught me the first day, Yeah, we're co-producing this quite a big drama series, you know, yes. for SABC, three part, three one hours, you know, but it's like a mini series. Yeah, you know? yes. And um, first thing we did, everybody in a circle. Would anybody like to pray? That's great. Who wants to say something? And we all spoke to each other about why we were there. Wow. You know, why we were there to make this film. It's like a family. Yeah. 
And it just created this be beautiful respect that just moved right the way through the film. Even to the point when Dumi was shot at his home in the middle of the filmmaking, Jeez. the crew just wanted to continue. Yes. Everybody just wanted to make it for him. You know what I mean? That's crazy, sir. And it taught me that thing. I've done that every time. Numi Scully, the first day, of, that's what we did. Yeah. He <laughs> got a hundred people. Yep. Everybody hold hands and just yeah. move out until we have a circle. And then John Frederick spoke and everybody spoke and it's five o'clock in the morning. And everybody just gets to understand why they're there. And if you don't want to be here, fuck off. <laughs> but this is an independent film. We're making it with no money. You know, we're making it with very little money. And I need you to give me like 150%. Yeah. You know? If you want to give it, you're here. Give it. If you don't want to give it, fuck off. <laughs> I mean, I say that in much nicer language. Yeah. And then, I promise you, as a producer, every day I'm there at breakfast and I'm checking to see if everybody looks fine. And I can tell because now you're not just the number. I know you. Yes. I know why you're here. Exactly. And I can see it in your face if you don't actually want to be here that morning. I love it. And I might say to you, hey, listen, you're not looking well. You probably want to go home and come back tomorrow. I'm not going to get 100%, am I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's the kind of environment that we need to build yeah. in order to create an independent film industry. It's amazing. Because otherwise we're only working for the commercial companies and the service companies. Yeah, exactly. And we need to even build our own service companies, you know, where That's young true. people, you know, where yourself, your friends, your, you know, are building their own kind of, and saying, no, like, you know, stage five films, yeah. new production company, but they're even servicing for foreign companies. They're small, but they'll grow bigger. Gambit Films, who's been like working in every different direction you can imagine, mm. making feature films, making Blood and Water that you worked on, you know, yeah. series for Netflix and so on. I think, you know, that's what they're also going to do eventually. They, the next thing you'll see them opening I a mean, movie house, opening a drive-in, opening, they have to get involved in the entire exhibition, in the, in the entire film value chain, right through until distribution and exhibition because so. that's where the real ownership the real money gets made at the end right exactly 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 so you know people are local the local companies that are transformed actually yes. are going to get involved in more and more transformation because it's going to make economic sense to do so because i promise you the audience is out there mm. and they will not want to watch a film on a fucking laptop for another fucking day. They won't. It's just going to drive them nuts eventually, right? Yeah. Doesn't it drive you nuts? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> okay, so um, thank you so much, Mr. T, for joining us today. Um, this was a really, like, informative um, conversation. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, um, everyone out there is going to enjoy it. You know, I hope it's, so. it's either they're listening on, 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 Apple, on Apple or Spotify or watching on YouTube. I'm sure they will definitely enjoy I this. I hope so, yeah. And it's yeah. a conversation and exactly. it's a journey. Exactly. And, you know, I'd be happy to come back. <laughs> so, Mr. So Mr. D, thank you so much for, for coming through on our podcast today. Yeah. Um, we'll definitely talk um, after this and continue our relationship because I really want to, um, um, I want to be next, next to someone like you in my life. You know, I've been um, next to people like you, like especially, you know, yeah. hearing about your background. So thank you so much. I appreciate no, it. Thank you. It was a real pleasure for me. You know, I, I want to say like for the position that I'm in at after being involved with the postgraduate students yes. at honors and master's level, yes. um, you know, 
and, and teaching and seeing the students come out, yes. being involved with all the alumni, you know, yes. it's a wonderful thing. But personally, as a producer, yeah, it's just really, you know, innovating, I would say, you know, yeah. exciting, you know, inspiring to meet people like you that are doing this kind of thing, yes, you know, yes, and just really want to see the industry improve. So, so much I'm appreciated. very happy to be involved. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Yeah.